Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Joyce Barry and Friends, the number one worldwide radio show. The show's outrageous and it's contagious. It will lift your spirits high, you'll feel that you can fly. Transform your attitude, fill it with gratitude. Cut loose and improvise, it's coaching time today. Joyce is a great coach with an extraordinary approach. Fast on the upbeat, top of the heap. A wild motivator, great stimulator. Unstoppable in a humoristic way. Life lessons with passion, joyfully today. You want Joyce as your coach if you want this to be your best year ever. Coach Joyce here. I want this to be your best year ever. I want this to be my best year ever. Folks, welcome to our show today, and thank you for tuning in on this great national holiday honoring Dr. King. Welcome to Joyce, Barry, and Friends. We are broadcasting live across America and around the world. This is the Hour to Empower with stimulating talk, views you can use, memorable quotes, and powerful life lessons. We always have hot guests and cool topics. We even have cool guests and hot topics. You always want to tune us on, tune in, and tune up with us to hear the best of the best. You do not want to miss any of our shows. Each show goes into our archives. Log into Joyce Barry and Friends.com, Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E, and you will see each guest and each topic on our homepage. You can play and download any of our shows, always informative, inspiring, and motivational. You want to share these special shows with your friends, family, and contacts. You can follow us on Facebook and become a Joyce Barry subscriber and even a fan by going to our Joyce Barry and Friends fan page. Be sure to check like. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us by going to our Blog Talk Radio homepage and clicking follow right below my picture. You can also message me in any of these venues about our show, about our guests, about anything. My official website is JoyceBarry.com. Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E. The chat room is open. Log into the chat room, have fun, and chat away. I go back and forth into the chat room during the show to see what is going on in there. Motivation, inspiration, and an education. Positive, happy thoughts to improve your life, health, and finances. Take positive actions to create a gratifying lifestyle. Life lessons from me, your host, Joyce Barry, straight from the Coach's Corner, and then you will hear from our wonderful guest today. Folks, every day should be treated like a special day. We wish you the finest of friends, the opulence of opportunities, the magic of miracles, and the happiest of days. May this year be your best year ever. What a special 
day this is for all of us. A true hero in the civil rights movement, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., is paid a special tribute today on this national holiday in his honor. Hear John Bell, the voice of reason, as he talks about Dr. King and his always nonviolent messages and actions. John was an activist. We have surely come a long way in outlawing discrimination based on race, color, religion, gender, or national origin. Sadly, we have a long way to go. Hopefully, the show will inspire you to speak up and speak out. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, said Dr. King. There comes a time when silence is betrayal. John Bell, I am so honored and happy that you're with us today. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Joyce. This is indeed a special day uh, for all Americans, really. Uh, Some people tend to think it's a holiday primarily for African-American citizens, but it really is an affirmation of what is best about this country. And Dr. King's birthday and this celebration is part of that uh, celebration of the history of this nation. I agree. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about Dr. King. I have some wonderful quotes. I agree with you. It isn't just for African-Americans, for all people. When I think of people in history that I most want to meet, he was among the top three. So um, it is a very special day. But the sad part is we still have a long way to go. So first, let's talk about him and the civil rights movement and what you personally remember about those times. Well, first, I'd like to mention something that um, I'm sure most people don't realize, and that is that uh, Martin Luther King was not his original name. Uh, Dr. King was named after his father. His father's name at the time was Michael King Sr., and uh, he was uh, then named Michael King Jr. But his father decided, because of his great uh, affection for, for Martin Luther, to change his name to Martin Luther King Sr. and also to change his son's name to Martin Luther King Jr. That decision, um, I think, impacts the whole world today because that name, Martin Luther King Jr., resonates now all around the world. And even though it wasn't his original name, he certainly gave it great credibility and great power and great great strength. But uh, let me talk a little bit about, about my... Um, association with Dr. King and with uh, the movement at that time. Uh, First of all, let me say that I met Dr. King twice uh, during his lifetime and during mine, Uh, once in Jersey City and once later on in Patterson, not long before his his assassination. And for people of my generation, he was always probably the most inspiring figure of our day. He was the man who was putting into words and putting into actions the hopes and aspirations of millions of Americans, and especially of non-white Americans, of African Americans, his uh, rise to to prominence in this country uh, lifted all of us in a way. It gave us a, a sense of feeling that there was hope for a better future, that there were opportunities for all of us that were going to be uh, different from the ones that perhaps existed for our parents and grandparents. So Martin Luther King had an incredible impact on all of our lives, and of course, we celebrate his birthday today. John, I was wondering, I know it's a national holiday. Do you believe he's honored in other parts of the world as well? I know that he is. I know that um, 
in the England and several European countries, there is an acknowledgement of his birthday. And uh, there will be special programs on television and on radio around the world. He had an impact on the entire world. Uh, we tend to think of him as an American hero, as an American activist. But he actually yes, was, especially in his final years, he began to broaden his message and took on the questions of of uh, poverty and of uh, discrimination and of, of alienation all around the world. And uh, I think that his, his movement has inspired leadership in other communities all over the world. So, yes, he's remembered uh, worldwide, so to speak. Deservedly so. Uh, we sure could use him in today's times as well. As I said, we've got a long, long way to go, given what's happening in our country today. <laughs> I really wish he was around. I'd vote yeah, Dan I th- for president in a moment. <laughs> I think a lot of people would. But I think the problem is is that he would have been very distressed about some of the things that have happened in the last few years here in this country. Because I think he had hoped that by now, if he had lived by now, he had hoped he would have hoped that we had come a lot further in our breaking down of some of the restrictions and discriminatory policies and, and the actions of, uh, of governmental leaders uh, throughout the country. I think he would have hoped and been disappointed to an extent that progress had not been greater, that it had not moved more, more efficiently, and that we might not be further along. But I think he also recognized that progress in some instances is very slow. It takes time, and he was a patient man who looked forward to the future, but with patience and understanding. So he's a great guy, really impressive man. I was thinking as you were speaking that I don't know if it isn't that we haven't come that far, but certain uh, what's going on in government today has taken us back a long, long way. I know a lot of people feel that way, but I don't think so, uh, Joyce. I think that the progress once made is very hard to unravel, to, to, to push back. I think what we're facing now is resistance to the progress we've made. And I think that's how King would have put it, that uh, the problems we face today really are the, I hope, and I think many people believe, are kind of the, I don't want to use a strange term because most people may not understand it, but it's the term I, want, I have in mind is vestigial remains. It's what happens when something is long past its time, but there is a kind of residual hangover. People resist it, even though it's no longer in vogue. I think that's all that we're seeing now, is we're seeing a kind of resistance to change rather than a pushing back of change. I hadn't thought of it quite like that, but whatever you want to label it, it's some of the things <laughs> going on today is just terrible, really, really terrible. My heart breaks with what is going on. Well, I think King's heart would have broken too, but I think, you know, he was always such a forward-looking person. That was one of the things that impressed me most about his writings and about his speeches and about uh, the short um, uh, opportunities I had to spend time with him is was the fact that he was always looking forward. You know, he was aware of the past. He understood injustice. He understood poverty. He understood segregation, all of the things that were wrong uh, during his lifetime. But he never allowed it to, to hold him in those places. He was always looking forward. He was always talking about what could be better, how we could move things forward, how we could get rid of the, some of the, the uh, problems and, uh, and difficulties at the time. So I think even now he might be 
upset with some of the resistance to the movement forward, but I think he would have been looking forward. He would have been saying there are opportunities ahead, and what we need to focus on is what we can do this year and next year and next year to keep things going in the direction that we'd like. I I sure do wish he was around. He was such an awesome leader, such a role model, that it pains me when I think of who's at the helm in our government today <laughs> that what is going on. That's what I mean. Like I feel like we've come so far uh, and so many steps backward with discrimination on so many different levels. My goodness, the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964. You would think that by now we've got it much more cemented in. Well, I think the Civil Rights Act is cemented in. Um, And I think we have to be careful because I sometimes find myself being discouraged by some of the things I see. But when I think back about about, uh, Dr. King's life and about the messages that he kept bringing to us, I realized that that what I'm seeing in a sense is like uh, the country's behaving in some ways or some of the people in the country are behaving like a stubborn child. Um, things have changed. There are new rules in place, but the child is stamping his feet and saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Well, that's not going to stop forward progress, Joyce. I think we're going to continue to become the kind of country that King wanted us to be, uh, the kind of world that King hoped that we would have, the world would eventually be. And I don't think we should be we should allow the um, resistance of those remaining holdouts to to uh, to challenge us to the extent that we lose patience or that we lose uh, hope. Um, what we're facing, I am convinced, and I'm sure Dr. King would be convinced, are the remnants of a bygone era. There are people and feelings and attitudes that are no longer really um, the touchstone of American life. Um, what the present president represents, and I think some of the people who support him represent, is a bygone era. This is their, in a sense, almost their last gasp. And um, once we survive this, once we've passed through this, I think we're going to see that the progress we've made is substantial and it's not going back. It will never be the way it was. It's going to be the way we want it to be. I know, John, you are an activist. I don't really know what role you played or how involved you were. Could you share a little about those times for you? Well, I was what was called, I guess, a civil rights activist. I um, I was in uh, Howard University from 1952 to 56, which was a, a kind of a germination period for a lot of what was to become the civil rights movement. I remember my first civil rights activity was at a sit-in in Baltimore, with some students from uh, Morgan State University. And at that time, the civil rights movement was beginning to grow across the country and around the world. And um, uh, the Montgomery uh, uh, situation, and not, you know, M- Montgomery bus boycott, which was kind of the, the kickoff for Dr. King, um, uh, was just about getting off the ground at that, at that point. So what we found, what I found is that there were plenty of opportunities for young men. I was in my early 20s to participate in uh, in uh, uh, what we would call demonstrations where we would sit in in restaurants or we would march in front of businesses that refused to hire uh, um, African-American people. Um, so I was active in, in that sense. I participated in dozens and dozens of marches and demonstrations. I was active in the Congress on Racial Equality. 
my brother was a, an active member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. So we were we were among that young cohort of people who were pressing for change in the country. And then Dr. King came along and elevated the whole movement to a national movement. I guess uh, a great part of my life for the next uh, 20 years or so. You were involved. Uh, I'm willing to bet on some level you're still making a difference. Well, I don't know. I, I hope that uh, that the things I have to say and the things that I do, and the example of my life, I, I think that for most of us, the example of our lives is the most important thing we can do to advance things in society. You know, I make sure I stand up against discrimination. Uh, I welcome movements like the Me Too movement. I welcome movements like uh, that that spring up around the, uh, the the country or around the world that want to elevate people from positions of of uh, enslavement or from positions of uh, of uh, where they are, are denigrated in some way, where they're not given equal opportunities. I think that's all part of the movement. I don't think this is just uh, what Dr. King started was not just a movement for African Americans. As you know, toward the end of his life, he had expanded to what was was proposed to be the Poor People's March. Um, even the March on Washington was called the March for Jobs and Freedom. So he was already beginning to recognize that the fight really was a struggle for equality for all people, and that all of us had a stake in this game, and that if we wanted to live in the kind of country we hoped we were, we were living in, we needed to fight for equality for everyone. So uh, I, I think one, that the King model was an important one. That's one of my favorite Dr. King quotes, injustice anywhere is a threat is to injustice justice everywhere. everywhere. So people that follow Dr. King, and it wasn't, we all know that it wasn't about African Americans exclusively. He did feel that way. I did see him, and in the march, uh, you know, there were a lot of Jewish people. There was a rabbi that was famous all right there uh, that uh, we've talked about. Uh, One of my other very favorite quotes of all time, all quotes, is I have a dream that my four little children will one mm-hmm. day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, by the, but by the content of their character. And today we see so much judgment on the color of skin, on sexual preferences, race, religion. So that dream did not come true to a great extent, and it's very, very sad about the judging that goes on. And I often say on my shows, why don't you learn from each other and respect the differences and grow from them rather than be indifferent to them or against them? Well, the quote that you began with was part of his I Have a Dream speech, I'm sure you know. And and that speech, I would recommend that anybody listening to us today should go online and read the I Have a Dream speech that Martin Luther King gave, gave in Washington, D.C. in front of the Lincoln Memorial. I, I was fortunate enough to be there that day. I traveled from Jersey City, where I was living at the time, on a school bus with my knees poking up into my chin uh, all the way to Washington, D.C. so I could participate in that March on Washington. So I heard Dr. King's speech in real time his actual words, and it was the most inspiring thing I've ever heard in my life. So I recommend that people read it. It has as much currency today as it had uh, back when he gave it, and I think that it will uplift us. I think also what we want to do with with Martin Luther King Day, Joyce, is I hear in your voice 
a lot of disappointment and a lot of feeling that we haven't done very much or we haven't gone as far as we thought we had. I want to disagree with that a little bit. And you know how much I love you, so you know my disagreement is not personal. <laughs> Feel free to disagree. We always agree that it's okay to disagree, John Bell. I love you unconditionally. But uh, I think we've come much further than, than people realize sometimes. And I find myself constantly saying, John, don't focus on the negative. Look at the positive things that we've done. And and I think that it's so true. I think we are a better country today than we were back in the 30s and 40s and 50s. Uh, there is more freedom. There is more economic equality. There is more, uh, I guess, how to put it, there is more justice for all people. And I think, for example, the, the women's rights movement, the, the Me Too movement that we're in the midst of right now, could not have occurred in 1950. It couldn't have occurred even in 1960. The very fact that women today are coming forward and saying, I will not take this any longer. I will not suffer abuse. I will not suffer uh, discrimination. I will not allow others power to, to denigrate me, to abuse me, to use me. And that was not possible before Dr. King. So don't we, don't we have to feel good about the fact that that instinct in women today has been enlivened and enriched by the fact that all that happened in the years before that brought us to a point where that can happen today? You know, Absolutely. I, I look at, yeah, so, uh, so we're, we're, we're making progress and we're making progress, but the progress is always slow and bumpy. And sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. But I think we need to be on this particular Martin Luther King uh, celebration day. I think we ought to look at the optimism that Dr. King's life brought all of us. Uh, I am better off in this world than I was when, when uh, the Montgomery boycott, for example, took place. Uh, I am still disappointed in things, but that's life. Life is about overcoming constant and continuing obstacles. But Dr. King, I mean, he brought us a huge way in the right direction, and we need to re remember that today. This is not a day to be sad. This is a day to be glad that he was in our lives and that he helped us to reach the points that we, the, the kind of America we live in today. Not perfect, but what's the, the, the phrase that we need to progress toward a more perfect union. That's always our goal. I absolutely acknowledge how far we've come. All one has mm -hmm. to do is Google Jim Crow laws, and it's exactly. sickening when, when you read those laws. So I, I do know that I've studied civil rights a lot. Just reading that, you'll see we have come a long way. And today, someone very vocal who I highly admire and respect is Representative John Lewis who also spoke that day as the president of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And I quote right. from John Lewis, Dr. King has the power, the ability, and the capacity to transform those steps on the Lincoln Memorial into a monumental area that will forever be recognized. By speaking the way he did, he educated, inspired, and informed not just the people there, but people throughout America and unborn generations. To this day, when John Lewis is on the air, I, I listen intently. I have so much respect for him. Folks, if you know John Lewis, have him call me to be on 
my show an open invitation I will bump any guest to have John Lewis on my show well you know John Lewis is an incredible human being and and almost gave his life on the Pettus Bridge uh, that day in the in the in the uh, Birmingham March he um I think he symbolizes the uh, the progress that Dr. King pointed us toward and he's one of those Americans who's, who keeps reminding us that we have to keep going forward. We have to keep improving things. But, you, you know, you, uh, you refer often in uh, our talk so far to the, the way things are today and that things are not where they should be. And I remember one of Dr. King's quotes that relates to it. He says, I, I, he said, nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. He said that way back in 1963. And Joyce, is there anything more accurate today? Is there anything in this world more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity coming from the highest levels of our government, where people don't have the courage to uh, to say what is right, to speak up against conscientious stupidity and sincere ignorance? And it's coming from... In this in this instance, and I know there may be some people who disagree with me, but I think our president suffers from both of those conditions. Absolutely, I agree with you, and that's what's so painful. I can't even put the television and hear anything the president has to say without turning the <laughs> channel. <laughs> so I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, Dr. King had so many awesome quotes. You can Google that as well. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And that really does bother me, the silence that is going on in the upper ranks of the Republican Party, to be specific. They're not saying anything. And what I hear of what we all hear behind the scenes, they are, but they're not coming to, to task with this. So it's very, very sad that they're all such cowards, even the ones he insulted to such extremes. They're putting their tail between their legs and yesing him on everything. Because they're afraid. You know, I think that one of the things that that is disheartening about government is the fact that for some reason we've developed this kind of, I don't know, hierarchy of, of government leaders that, really has no real place in life. These are people who are professional and career and lifetime politicians. If you look at uh-huh. those uh, people in the United, the United States Senate who you're talking about now who, who don't even come out and say what's wrong and won't stand up for what's right, most of them are 70- and 80-year-old men who have never had another job in their lives. They've spent their lives living off what they used to call the, uh, the government teat. They, um, they, 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 they derive their existence, they derive their income, they derive their livelihood. Everything has come from being in government. They are not the uh, men of the people. They are men of a special governing class who have lost touch with the real world, who have lost touch with those of us who have feelings and heart and, and desires for progress and for change. These men are not gutless. They just are not filled with any kind of human spirit. Their job is to maintain their position in power, to stay in government as long as they can, to collect their paychecks, to get their pensions, and then to retire into the distance. And to tell you the truth, I can't wait till they're all gone. 
that makes two of us. And I'm looking at <laughs> pages of quotes that I had printed out on Dr. King and how mm-hmm. true they are today. There comes a time, quote, when silence is betrayal. And that's how I feel, that they're not speaking out. And and Hope uh, King said we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. And that is the hope that in the 18 elections, that it's such a sweep of Democrats taking over those Republican seats. Uh, We just need to have a massive change every day that goes by. It's so scary when we have someone of that caliber at the helm of everything. I just want to say that in the next mm -hmm. couple of weeks, I just want to say I am doing a a very important show called Repeal and Replace Trump. (laughs) (laughs) But I have a warning, though, I would like to issue, Joyce, for Democrats and Republicans. Uh, I hope to see those people in power, many of those people in power today, swept out of office this year in 2018. But I have a warning for the Democratic Party as well and for the progressive movement in America is that they also need to step away from these career politicians. They need to step away from promoting candidates who are interested in a career in politics. You know, government originally, our founding fathers uh, originally determined that uh, occupying positions in government would be temporary, a year, two years, three years, six years at the most. Then you go back to your normal life. And you become a citizen again, looking at government from the other side. It was never meant to be a career, a lifetime pursuit. So I think that we need to start looking for candidates, Democrats, progressives, Republicans, looking for candidates who are representative of everyday people and bringing them to positions of importance in government. I'm tired of these career politicians. I'm tired of these people who run for every office from dog catcher up to president of the United States. Let's start looking for candidates who represent the average everyday American. They're not stupid. They're not uneducated. They are not unwilling or unable to govern this country. We can govern this country if we get away from this political class, which has been the problem in Washington, not just now. It's at its worst uh, point right now, but it's been a problem forever. And I think Dr. King would have recognized that. I think he would have looked for citizen political leaders, not for career political leaders. I totally agree with you. And, folks, what I want you to recognize and acknowledge is the value of listening to this show every day because we really want to make a positive impact on your life. Here in the words of Beverly Nadler is why you should be listening. Listen to me. I have something to say about a wonderful way to start your day a way to stimulate your mind and increase your energy, make you feel so good. And guess what? It's free. Weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, hear the Joyce, Barry, and Friends show. You'll find it on the Internet, on Blog Talk Radio. This show is upbeat and fun and very inspirational. It's informative, educational, and very motivational. There's the Coach's Corner, great quotes and news. There are suggestions, perspectives, and advice you can use to enhance your life and improve your health, plus clever, simple ways to increase your wealth. Joyce's perceptions and personality will keep you captivated, and her guests 
from many walks of life will always keep you fascinated. When Joyce and her friends speak, it's like you're in the conversation. This is part of what makes her show so unique, really a sensation. For Joyce's friends are not only the guests you're listening to, they're everyone who is tuning in. Yes, I do mean you. So refer your friends and family. They'll be so pleased to know. And let's make Joyce, Barry, and Friends the number one Internet radio show. And, folks, we do ask you to engage with us in having that happen. Simply go to JoyceBarryandFriends.com, Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E, and right under my picture on the upper left, if you click on Follow, you need not miss any of our shows. You will get an email about every show, every guest, every topic. And the good news is you can listen to our shows 24-7 in our archives when you are not joining us at our regular time at 11 a.m. Easton. John, you were talking about somewhat non-conventional kind of people taking office. I really wanted to know what you think of my friend Oprah for president. (laughs) I think that's one of the the distortions that was created by the election of of Donald Trump. I think uh, Oprah is an incredible human being and has made major contributions to to the I guess to many movements in this country, not just for women, but for women and for men. But I think Oprah is in her right lane, and I think we need to learn how to stay in our lanes. I don't think that uh, because you're a celebrity on television that you automatically ought to be considered president of the United States. I think that there are many, many people who have a different frame of mind, a different bent, a different kind of direct, sense of direction that um, that should be the people we look to. Uh, and I'm not saying that I would be opposed to Oprah being president. I'm just saying that I think that we have to be careful that we don't suddenly start looking for celebrities and television and in the movies to become our our political leaders because not all of them are capable of taking on that job. The presidency of the United States is the most important and most powerful position in the world. And it takes more than celebrity to equip one to do it. Uh, I think it takes a kind of understanding of government it takes an understanding of our American constitution. It takes an understanding of the the past, present, and future of this country. So without putting Oprah down as a candidate, I'd like us to begin looking in a different way at people who might be president of the United States. That's something I want to comment on, because after Trump, I'd be happy with Kermit the Frog in, in office. Having so, said see, that's that... That's the danger, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's a danger because we we don't think that Kermit the Frog would be a good substitute for Donald Trump. I All think right, they might I, be I on an it, equal I level there. <laughs> All right, but however, Oprah has been, always will be my hero, my role model. So exactly. I don't see it as Oprah the celebrity. I see it as Oprah can do anything she puts her mind to. Oh, my God, her show's called Super Soul Sunday. I watch every one of them, top leaders around the world, giving advice on spirituality, how to live one's life. Her new book, The Wisdom of Sundays, which I treasure, I got it as soon as it came out. I really think she'd be awesome without the experience because she's a very open-minded person. She goes to people for advice and learns and models what it is that they do. So 
So I don't put her in the class of celebrities, another celebrity. She's in her own class, and I, I would love to have her as my president. Well, I'm not, I don't want you to mis, misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Oprah possibly couldn't be a great president. What I'm saying, though, is that we don't want to start turning to people who are merely celebrities. Right. I think the present Agreed. president is president only because he had incredible name recognition based on a television show. Uh, but if people really had known his history and his background, they would have been less likely to vote for him. So we have to be careful. We need to look for people who have all of the qualities that Oprah has, but not because they are celebrities. Some of them may be college professors someplace, or some of them may be mayors of small towns who who have a, a vision for the future. Some of them may be teachers or scientists or educators. It doesn't matter to me. But I think we we don't want to fall into the trap of saying, okay, we need another Ronald Reagan, who was a movie star. We need another Donald Trump, who was a television star. So let's keep looking for celebrities to guide us and direct us. No, as a blanket thing, I agree. But Oprah's in a class mm -hmm. all by herself, for no sure. No question, no question, no question. Uh, JFK, in his civil rights address more than 50 years ago, he said the heart of the question is whether all Americans are to be afforded equal rights and equal opportunities, whether we are going to treat our fellow Americans as we want to be treated. My goodness, if we can only apply the golden rule to the, these times and these days, you know, what is going on with people in fear because of their color, because of their race, because of their sexual preference, because of their gender. So that's why I agree with you. It's not just any celebrity with a name, but Oprah is Oprah. Anyone that can be known by one name has to be special. Uh, I <laughs> I have to be careful here because I love Oprah, and I think she's an incredible human being, and I think she would be a fantastic anything. But um, but I think that we need to, as I said, I think we need to be careful in the selection of people now, not just people we like. Uh, I'd be willing to vote for a president who I didn't know very well if he was, if I got the sense that he or she had the qualities of leadership that are necessary to run the government and be the most powerful human being in the world. Um, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't want us to get caught up in some kind of celebrity hunt for a new president. Um, let's put Oprah so aside. I, I agree with everything you've said about her. Yeah. I, totally I don't want understand. people to start thinking the next thing we know, we've got, uh, I don't know, James Corden running for president or, you know. <laughs> no, no, I do understand. And folks, if right. you're friends with Oprah, she can come on my show anytime. Her and John Lewis, anytime, anywhere, <laughs> any place. <laughs> uh, uh, folks, when you think of equality, are you the kind of person, if it doesn't affect you, it's it's not that important? Or can you go by what affects you personally and see how it affects everyone? It reminds me of another great quote from Martin Niemöller. First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. That's a mm -hmm. really hit home. That was the nerve that hit home. And that's something that uh, that Dr. King would have reminded us. 
is that the, those of us who refuse to recognize the difficulties of our time and speak out against it are, in a sense, promoting it. We are, we're, in a sense, allowing it to grow, to fester and grow, because we don't speak out against it. You had something to say about that earlier when you said how disappointed you were in many of our yes. leaders. Uh, you mentioned um, um, our po- political leaders and the leaders in Washington. I would like to mention where is the American church? Where are the leaders of our churches and our temples and our synagogues? After hearing what the president said the other day about uh, these the countries around the world, why aren't people who are our moral leaders, not just our political leaders, our moral leaders coming out saying, this is not the way we should speak about each other. This is not the way we should categorize other people around the world. You know, Joyce, we are all uh, uh, occupants of this same little rowboat that we call the, the planet Earth. Everyone is part of it, and everyone is on it, and everyone is, is affected by it. And if we start looking at each other in the way that the president seems to look at, at some of the other people in the world, then we're doomed to a, a lifetime of discontent and injustice. So our moral leadership is more, uh, in a sense to me, is, is more delinquent in not speaking out. Political leaders, I don't always look to them for moral equivalents, but for moral leaders – church leaders, for, for rabbis, for pastors, for priests. These are the people who are supposed to help us understand that we need to love and respect one another. And when they don't speak out, they leave a deafening silence that I think infects the whole world. Agreed. Here's a few very good quotes exactly about that JFK. If not us, who? If not now, when? Voltaire, every man is guilty of all the good he did not do, I added, and woman. And Edmund Burke, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could do only a little. And there you have it. Well, that's exactly my point, is that that, that there are people who are are not well-known names, who are not leaders of the nation in any way, but who have a moral responsibility to speak out and to speak the truth. And that's what's important, and that's what's missing today in large measure, is that some of the things that are going on now in this world, and, and, and I don't mean just here in the United States. I look at what's going on in Myanmar and what's going on in Ukraine and what's going on in, in Syria and what's going on in um, parts of the Middle East. There is, there is a lot of injustice. There is a lot of, of abuse going on in the world. And I don't hear enough people speaking out against it, as King would have done. Uh, you asked me early on whether this was an American holiday and whether it's celebrated around the world. I think people around the world respect Dr. King and his messages. But I don't hear anybody repeating those messages today. I don't hear people, other men and other women, stepping forward and taking up the mantle of a Dr. King and beginning to speak in the kinds of moral tones that he used. That's what's missing, is we're all cowed by the political leadership and we don't speak out. Absolutely agreed. I mean, in timing-wise, that it's his, a tribute to him today on his birthday, uh, we all know about within the last week that a horrible thing was said at the top level of government 
about uh, a certain country shouldn't be we, that we shouldn't welcome them here. I won't even repeat the exact quote that was said, but it's all over the news for the last week at sure. how up in arms people are about uh, Haiti and a couple of other countries shouldn't be welcome. And he just put them all in one blanket. The nameless leader of the free world. It's just real scary that that's what's representing us and how more and more of our allies can't even deal with us because they have no respect for him. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I read foreign newspapers as often as I can, and I like listening to the BBC or watching the BBC on television, too, because I want to I want to get some sense of what the world is thinking about all of this. And yes. really, you know, I, I suffer from shame and embarrassment. To be yes. honest, Joyce, it's yes, a it's a sense of oh my God, how terrible it must be for our representatives around the world to have to explain away some of these things. To can you imagine being an ambassador, an American representative in any African country today, and having to try to explain to people how people we elected president, even though it was only an electoral college election, that people who supported a man who says things like this about one of the largest population groups in the right. world. You know, this is right. not some insignificant little uh, group of people he singled out. He singled out a continent with 54 different right. nations on it and 54 different, in a sense, cultures and ideas and attitudes. And one of the richest in terms of, of natural resources anywhere on the planet. And he, he it's, it's, disgusting and disgraceful and i can imagine yes. how shameful it must be uh how shamefaced we must be to be in places in the world where those kinds of comments resonate and uh, i don't i, mean, I can't imagine from what it's, yeah. the president of the united states the commander in chief of the armed forces and the leader of the free world I, I, he is very quickly slipping from the leader of the free world. People don't hold him as the leader anymore. He is losing so much ground, so much respect. Every day he's in office, I put on the news and say, what did he do that was terrible today? Exactly. And, you know, he has taken the term America first to its basest level. America first should never mean America above and beyond all others, America exclusive of all others, America without contact or or, or uh, concern for all others. Um, America first simply means should have meant in, in, in any logical human being's mind is that we want to make it preeminent in the world, that we want to be the, the touchstone for the rest of the world, that we want to be the place where others around the world can look for guidance and direction toward a better place to live, a better world for themselves, not this isolationist kind of nationalistic attitude that this man harbors. Uh, we are not better than any other country in the world. We are not better than human beings in Africa or Asia or in, 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 in the, any other part of the world. It slips my mind right now. But the point is, is that when you start thinking that you're better than everybody else, you've reduced yourself to being worse than everybody else. And that's what's but happening besides here with this president. That thinking he's also a pathological liar he has no credibility he changes his mind every two minutes 
He doesn't want to hear anyone's opinion. It's all about him. He has to have self-aggrandizement 24-7 and have everybody say how fabulous. Everything is so wrong with him. I'm waiting for them uh, to put in, invoke uh, Article 25, that he's not mentally fit or confident or confident to lead the world. Except that the men he surrounded himself with in his cabinet would never do that. So we can take that off the table. <laughs> uh, Mike Pence and most of the people around him would have to agree on uh, to, to invoke Article 25, and they're never going to do that. I think, though, that we should not be surprised by the fact that he is an inveterate liar. I think that it's all of one piece. When you When you meet someone like our president, it's not that you can isolate separate parts from him. Of course, men like him are going to be liars. They're going to be abusers. They're going to be prevaricators. They're going to be users. They're going to be people who create mistrust among uh, all others. That is who they are. And unfortunately, we gave this man a platform, uh, a podium, a way to project what he thinks and what he feels out into the world. And I think the world is... is the worse off for it. And I think certainly the country is. Now, I know there are people who disagree with this. They think that Trump is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I think history will record that he was perhaps the most, I don't know, the most uninformed, unprepared, racist. Um, unpredictable, racist uh, man fast ever to be elected president. Although we've had racist presidents before. But uh, I think he's taken it to a new level at a time when it it should have no place in American life. And I think that's the most disturbing thing. I want to end the time we have left honoring Dr. King on a positive note. Uh, My goodness, what a role model for everyone. Uh, What an awesome man. You said you met with him twice. Under what circumstances and what was your personal experience? Well, I met with him the first time at at a... at a local college in Jersey City, where he came to speak. And before the speech, he was um, um, asked to attend a luncheon. And I was invited as one of the young community leaders at the time to be among the group of people who were in the luncheon. So I was able to hear him speak on a less um, formal level. It wasn't a prepared speech. It was just conversation and talk. And he took questions from some of us, and we would talk to him and ask him questions about uh, things that we were concerned about and interested in. And that was the first time. And I was so impressed. I mean, he is one of the most, um, I guess, oratorically proficient human beings I have ever heard. He he speaks so brilliantly and so wisely. Uh, the second time I saw him was at a, a church in Patterson, New Jersey, um, just shortly before his assassination. He had been invited to this small Baptist church in Patterson and and accepted which he did all of his life. He traveled from all over the world and all over the country, certainly, speaking to groups of people, trying to encourage us and enlighten us about the movement. And uh, and I got a chance there to talk with him briefly after the, the um, major presentation. Uh, all I can say to you is that he was a very special human being. He radiated a kind of peaceful um, a kind of feeling when you're in his presence, you had the feeling that this was a man who had a mission in his life and was living out that mission, that he was determined to see that things change for the better. He wanted to do it peacefully and nonviolently, which was also 
criticized by a lot of the young bucks like myself at that time who were thinking, you know, maybe we need to be a little more aggressive out here, but he always hewed to the line that we had to do what we were going to do peacefully and without injury or harm to anyone else, and then he was absolutely right. So those are my two experiences with him. With all that demeanor of peace and quiet, he knew, everything I read about him, he knew that he was a marked man, that that oh, he would be assassinated. He absolutely knew that, and he lived with that every day. And despite all obstacles of Herculean proportions, all trials and tribulations, he marched on and maintained that that solid, that quietness of, of being peaceful, turning the other cheek, so to speak. Yeah, and, and I think that not only did he know that he was a marked man, I, I think in that last speech at the church the night before, he said, I may not make it to the promised land, but I know that you will. He he had been, uh, there had been death threats against him by the hundreds in the final years of his life. And the, the government was not as aggressive as it should have been in protecting him and in uh, making sure that that assassination didn't happen. But that's old history now. He knew that he was putting his life on the line. And that gives more power and more strength to what the way he lived his life. He not only lived his life aggressively and looking and forward-looking, but he also lived it under the threat of impending doom. He always knew that at any moment an assassin's bullet could take his life. So that speaks to the courage of the man and to the strength of his message. So if there's anything we want to remember today, it's how here was a man who dedicated his life to uplifting others and who dedicated his life to moving this nation forward in spite of the fact that there were elements uh, in opposition to him who would take his life at the first opportunity. You can't say anything more than, uh, than that. In a sense, he was a man who gave his life for his, for his friends, for his brothers, for his country. Absolutely. Uh, I, we all know John Bell is the voice of reason, and I want to share something, one of my favorite things from John Bell on this wonderful holiday, his holiday reflections. funny how every once in a while we start reflecting on life. Has it ever made sense? Will it ever make sense? We wonder why we spend so much time doing things we have to do and so little time doing the things we really want to do. We spend so much time with people who add nothing to our lives and so little time with people we love. We acquire too much that's only temporary and too little that has lasting value. We face new challenges, but with old ideas. We open and close our hearts at the wrong times, often letting in sorrow and excluding joy. We figure out the answers, but long after it's too late to solve the problems. And yet... We rise each morning, ready to fill another day with our hopes and dreams and aspirations, determined to make it all different, to do it better, do it right this time. Our dreams are filled with hopes for brand new tomorrows. Langston Hughes said, hold fast to your dreams, for if dreams die, life is but a broken-winged bird 
that cannot fly. We must all hold fast to our dreams, so that even when our wings are broken, our spirit is not. Happy Holidays. And folks, I really love the message that that is. Uh, it is a great message and so relevant. John, what message beyond that message to have a happy holiday and, and your very wise words? What would you like to say to our audience in closing? Uh, just something that we got into a little bit during our talk, and that is that sometimes when we live during distressing and troublesome periods of time, we tend to get down and start to think, Oh, woe is me and all is bad and, and things are terrible. Life is not terrible and we have made great progress. We are a great nation. We are a people who can inspire the world and we are a people who can be proud of our past and of our present and of our future. So we should not let this present time in history pull us down to make us unhappy, to make us so discouraged that we think we have lost, that all is lost. We are still moving in the right direction, and we're moving at a, at a steady and considerable pace. I take great pride in being American, and I take great pride in the fact that we have had leaders like Dr. King uh, throughout our history. I hope that today people will remember the uplifting messages of Dr. King, and that we are a nation of great people, that one day we will be able to walk as brothers and sing in that great song. Free at last, free at last. Great God Almighty, we're free at last. Absolutely. John Bell, thank you so much for jumping in and joining us as we celebrate Dr. King today. We always value your input. You're always welcome here. Same as John Lewis and Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Joyce. You take care, and God bless. God bless. And, folks, my message today is look up Dr. King, Google Dr. King, whatever you know. There's so much more to learn. His quotes are so inspiring. Uh, The Jim Crow roars will make you realize, yes, we did come a long way. And just when you hear words out of the president's mouth, you'll also appreciate that we have a way to go. And, folks, do listen to our show. We always want to be uplifting for you. Make someone happy today. And we want to make you happy every day. We invite you to sing along with us, dance along with us, laugh along with us. And you can do that starting right here, right now, to the Joyce Barry Mash. So do join us. And, again, share this show with other people. Uh, you know, let people know. Again, it's in our archives, and uh, you can always access it 24-7, so do that. Folks, once again, have a blessed day. Make someone happy, and indeed, we hope we made you happy. Over and out.